So when you are, as we are, an imperfect person trying to follow a perfect, holy God, it's baked into the cake that God is going to have to change the course that we're walking because we don't innately know how to walk God's way. Life becomes about these course corrections of God working in our lives and changing the path that we're on to a better path. He's been around longer than we have. He can see around corners we can't see around. He loves us more than we love ourselves, and so He's tweaking our direction. And I want to give you a couple of images that we'll refer back to um, as we're going through this. The first is a battleship. How easy do you think it is to change the direction of that ship? Not so easy. I, uh, did, I Googled how long it takes to stop a very large ship. Two miles, 14 minutes for an oil tanker, so maybe even a little bit bigger than this. But that's one mental picture of, and I've been this battleship before, when God is trying to tweak my direction and I don't want any of it, and I'm really difficult, and it gets harder and harder until I finally, I mean, have you ever arm wrestled with God? How'd that work for you? <laughs> I have. Next image I want to give you is of a kayak. And a kayak is nimble. With one paddle stroke, you can almost spin the whole thing around. And I want to have a heart more like the kayak, where when God is trying to turn me, I'm like, yes, Lord, you know better. Let's go your direction. But you're going to meet in the passage that we're studying today the battleship of battleships. And we're going to try and learn from his experience how to make our hearts soft before God so that He can lead us in the ways we need to go. So we're going to start by looking at Exodus 6, 28. We're really going to be reading across about five chapters today, so we're going to pick and choose our way through because we're looking at the plagues that God brought when He was setting His people free from Egypt. Pharaoh, the battleship-hearted one, would have none of it. And so God had to keep upping the ante with him, and we're going to be reading across that. But from chapter 6, verse 28 and 29, on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I am speaking to you. So Moses is God's instrument, and God is trying to get a job done of getting his people set free. Chapter 7, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a wonder, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and they became snakes. But Aaron's staff swallowed up theirs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Are you guys hearing me okay? Okay, sounded a little funny up here. Okay, so God does a miracle to kind of establish Moses as his servant, he says, you know, throw down your staff, and it becomes a snake. Now Pharaoh says, well, heck, my, my magic guys can do that, and they throw down theirs. But the, the seeds are already there because Moses' staff goes and eats the snakes that Pharaoh's uh, officials had created. 
Let's bump down to verse chapter 7, verse 20. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and the officials, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the river, and the river and all the water in it was turned to blood, and the fish in the river died. The river stank so that the Egyptians could not drink its water. There was blood throughout the whole land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians who had to dig along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the river. So you see the battleship. And if he can explain it any other way, well, my, my, uh, my magicians can turn water to blood, so full steam ahead. God's trying to get his attention, but it's, it's tough sledding with um, Pharaoh. So that first plague, the plague of the water, the Nile turned to blood. Second plague, the plague of the frogs. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The river shall swarm with frogs. They shall come into your palace, into your bedchambers, and into your beds, and into the houses of your officials and of your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your officials. So Pharaoh gets his magicians out to see if they can conjure up some frogs, and it turns out they can, but the road begins to split here because his, his magicians cannot make the frogs go away. So Pharaoh's left with a land chock full of frogs. How much fun would that be? I mean, there might be one or two little boys who would think it was cool, but the rest would not be so happy. And so Pharaoh comes to Moses and said, Moses, please, if you can unwind this, I'll let your people go. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So that's the pattern. Pharaoh, now we've entered new territory where from here forward, as the plagues unwind, Pharaoh's magicians can't do anything like this. It becomes painfully obvious that the God that Moses is speaking for has power that Pharaoh's never seen in any kind of religious context. And yet, Whenever the plague comes, he eventually, it first says, Moses, make it stop. I'll let your people go. I'll, t- I'll release your, this, these slaves. But then as soon as respite comes, he hardens his heart, and it doesn't, uh, he doesn't follow through with it. So from the plague of gnats forward, there's no joy from Pharaoh. Let me throw these up. You've got the plague of blood, frogs, gnats, flies. And you see as the thing advances, at first God starts with things that are kind of annoying and probably gross, have frogs and gnats and all of this, but it proceeds from there to begin to affect the economy. I mean, the economy is based on livestock, and it's based on agriculture. And the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, it begins to affect that. And then darkness and even the plague of the firstborn. It's like there's an escalation. If you won't listen when I tap you on the shoulder, will you listen if I yell a little louder? If you won't listen to a soft voice, will you listen if I raise my voice a little bit more? Um, what's not... So that, that kind of makes sense. You know, you try... You like you talk to your kids. Hey, would you clean your room? Say it in a really nice voice. They don't do it. 
Your voice gets a little louder. They don't do it. If you don't do that, you're not getting any allowance this week, and you kind of escalate. That part makes sense to us. What is not immediately apparent to us is that those ten plagues are not random. The things that are listed there, Les, if you throw that back, back up, the, the flies, the livestock, all of that, those correlate to the ten most important gods in the Egyptian religion. The God, think about it. The, the Nile, one of their biggest gods was the God who controlled the Nile, and the God of the Bible is saying, I'm bigger, I'm stronger. The, when he affects the livestock, when the, I'm scrolling a little bit forward, but when the children of Israel rebel against God in the desert, they make a golden what? Calf. You know where they learned that calves could be worshipped? In Egypt, because this was one of their biggies. When he makes the sun go dark, do you know the name of the Egyptian sun god? Ra. It was one of their biggies. And the last one, the plague of the firstborn, the god who was supposed to protect the lives of the Egyptians was Pharaoh. He was a god in their religion. And it, so God is not just getting his people set free. He is, if you will, he is preaching a sermon to the land that you will know that I am the true God worthy of worship. Look at Exodus 7, 4 to 5. Before any of this unfolds, listen to what God says from verse, chapter 7, verse 4. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring, my Isra- bring the Israelites out from among them. So he gets up to the plague of darkness, kind of getting to, working up the pantheon of Egyptian gods. And this time he comes to Pharaoh. And he says, he offers him a choice ahead of time. He says, Pharaoh, are you sure you want to keep riding this train? And then in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, this is the altercation that happens before the plague of the firstborn. Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh, the God, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn of the female slave who is at the hand mill, and all the firstborn of the live stock. Then there will be a loud cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such as never been or ever will be heard again. Verse 8, then all these officials of yours shall come down to me, bow low to me, saying, leave us, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And in hot anger, he left Pharaoh. He's kind of saying, Pharaoh, you've been a battleship to this point. Are you sure you want to keep going? Because you're not going to like where this is going to lead. Um, But he resists, and the Passover happens where God... um, instructs his people to put the, the blood of a lamb over their door so that the, as the angel of judgment comes through the land, he will pass over those houses and not touch any of his people. And then 1,500 years later, Jesus Christ goes into Jerusalem on Passover, and the blood of the perfect lamb is shed so that the things that we deserve would pass over us when they put on when we believe in Him and it is applied to our lives. So that 
is where we end today. You'll pick up next week with, where, with how God actually gets the people out of the land of Egypt. But I want to come back to us. That's Pharaoh's story. Let's talk about our story. And I want to talk about three words, soft, quick, and sweet. Soft, quick, sweet. Our passage talks about how Pharaoh hardened his heart. He was a battleship. No matter what, he was not going, to re- not going to submit himself to the course corrections that God was trying to bring. God calls us instead to have hearts that are soft, hearts that when he's trying to correct us, as he must, will go with him and learn what he's trying to teach without him having to go through all of this rigmarole to, to make our hearts soft. I suppose if Pharaoh had changed his, path, his course after the, the Nile was turned to blood, the Bible would have read differently. It would have been the story of the one plague. God, God intervenes. Pharaoh says, whew, God's, God doesn't like the path I'm going. I'll turn. But Pharaoh didn't. He's like, I'm going to keep going. I don't care. I'm not going to submit. Here's what I've observed in my own life. God generally comes to me with the whisper first, Ben, that's not a good path. And if I listen, great. If you don't, Ben, that's really not a good idea. And then there's the tap on the arm. Then there's a kind of, you know, the little shake. And then is Bill How Bill, where are you? Anyway, Bill Howland and I like to talk. Occasionally the Lord is left only with the holy two-by-four of correction as the only way to get my attention. And I've got a few knots on my head as a result. But it saved me from a lot of hardship. Psalm 32, 9 says this, says, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. The, the women in my family, they all ride horses, and there are some horses, they will not go the direction you want unless you're just jerking on that. And there's others, you can practically just think it, and they go, you know, because they want to be in sync with the rider. And God's saying, be like that kayak. Let me... You don't innately know how to live my way. That's normal. Let me help you. Let me guide you and let me shape your path. You know, I suspect if we're honest, we would all say, you know what? I've gotten into an arm wrestling match with God before. Two things I've found when I've done it. One, I didn't win. And secondly, in the end, I realized he actually, his path was better than the one I was clinging to. He's smarter than I am. He sees around all kinds of unknown corners that I can't see around. So I've learned over time that it's better to be soft-hearted than hard-hearted. Second word I want to look into is quick, quick. First one is soft, second is quick. In Exodus 8, verses, verse 9 and 10, this is in the middle of the plague of the frogs. This amazing little snippet happens, and I read over it the first several times I looked at it and didn't even see what was actually happening. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and for your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there's no one like the Lord our God. Okay, so you've got frogs in your bed, 
in your food processor, in your sandwich, in your toilet, everywhere you go, there are frogs. And Moses comes and says, I, can, I leave to you the honor of when I make these go away. Hmm. What a, give me another 24 hours with them. I'm kind of digging on this. Let me just put it into terms that we've never seen a plague of frogs, but imagine the worst stomach virus you've ever had in your life. You're in the bathroom, you're nauseous, digestion is, is out of whack, and, and, the, and Moses came to you and said, I leave to you the honor of deciding when the stomach virus leaves. Hmm, tomorrow? I'm kind of, I'm, I'm rolling with it now. You know, we got, we got momentum. You'd never do that. But sometimes the lever, when God is trying to correct us, you know, things are getting harder and harder in terms of our anxiety, in terms of how this is impacting our lives, maybe our relationships, maybe our finances. And I don't want to just be soft, but if I know what God's trying to correct, I also want to be quick. You know, I don't want to say, you know what, I'll quit tomorrow. I'll quit next week. Because um, sometimes that lever is in front of, it sits in front of our chair, and we can kind of say, you know what, God, you're putting your finger on this, and I'm going to respond sooner than later because I don't want to have to go through all of this. Uh, a friend of mine once said, we tend in the body of Christ to define maturity as how much, how much knowledge I have about God. You know, how many Bible stories do I know? How many bits of church history, what have you. He said, I think that's a very poor definition of maturity. Maturity is how short is the time lag between when I learn that God wants me to do something and when I actually do it. The shorter the lag, the greater the maturity. I may only know this much of God, but I'm, I'm soft before Him. When He tells me to do something, I'm on it. And that's the heart that I increasingly want to have, that I increasingly try to have, fall short of it all the time, but it's the path I feel God's called us down. And the last word I want to look at is sweet, sweet. What do you think of when I say the word repent? Positive connotations, negative connotations. Okay, if I say it like a televangelist, repent. Positive, negative, if I add three or four extra syllables in there. Negative, okay. And I think part of that is because, you know, it's got that connotation of the televangelist. It's got, it, it sounds shameful. It sounds like a, a wet, wagging finger in your face saying, bad, 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 you're an evil person. Not just that you did something wrong, but that you are something wrong. You know, it has those things, and we want to avoid it. But I think the devil has hoodwinked us around that because repent simply means to turn around. When we talk about being easy to turn, that's the, the literal meaning of the word we translate into English, repent, is just the Greek word for turn around. So if my son, and this happened many times when he's a, a young boy, I mean, he's 10 now, but when he was young, he would start charging off towards a crowded street and, or a street with lots of cars, and I go, Benji, stop! And he'd turn around with tears on his face because he thinks daddy is mad at him. I'm not mad. I'm in love with that kid. But I just need him to turn around. And he's headed towards danger. And I think, I have come to believe that repentance is the sweetest word in the English language. 
because it means that the things that have in a negative way defined my life, defiled my life, no longer need to dictate direction for me. God and His Holy Spirit give me the power to turn, to turn. And a friend of mine said, it's like there's this book, this, this life story of yours and of mine, and it's written by God. God put it together. But somebody in a cruel hand came and kind of wrote graffiti across it of idiot, dumb, stupid, whatever. And repentance is the way that God takes His Holy Spirit eraser and just goes, and restores the book to read the way it was supposed to read. It's a gift. Another friend of mine said, it's like God is like that person when you're having a garage sale who knocks on your door at 5.30 in the morning because they want to get the hidden gems. They don't want to wait till you say it started. And he comes in and he looks at the stuff and he can see that desk that has five or six layers of old nasty paint all over it. But he can see that underneath that is a 16th century Louis says desk, French oak he can see what it really is underneath the paint. And repentance is the process where he takes that old paint off and restores it to look the way he intended. Repentance, the ability to turn as God leads us, it's not a shameful thing. It's the normal thing. It's the only way human people can learn to follow from the paths that we were going down to the paths that God knows are better for us. Soft. How do we make our hearts soft when God's trying to correct us so that we go with Him willingly? Quick. When He says, this is the path I want you to go on, how do we shorten that arm wrestling period to where we say, okay, God, you got track record with me. I know that when you're telling me to do something, even if it doesn't make sense to me, I'll go there. And then sweet, letting God redefine what that means for us to change direction from some shaming thing that we need to guard against to the most normal, blessed part of the Christian life. And that's where we're trying to get to, and that's what Pharaoh's story reminds me about. So let's pray. Lord, thank You so much that You care enough about us not to let us run out in the crowded street and get hammered by things, but that You change our direction, Lord, that you come to people like us who don't innately know how to walk the ways of God, and you care enough to steer us and to change our direction. Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that are soft, that learn to trust you and go with you quickly. And Lord, where sweetness of repentance, is, it tastes sweet on our tongue, Lord. It's the arm around the shoulder, not the uh, finger wagging in the face saying that I have far better in mind for you than this. Lord, lead us and guide us in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.